Hey everyone, welcome to Numbers on the Boards. My name is Bobby Corello. Normally, we'd get right to talking about basketball, but these aren't normal times and this won't be a normal episode. People are hurting all over our country right now, and we're hurting too. We are shocked and devastated by the senseless murder of George Floyd and so many other black men and women in communities around the United States at the hands of a broken system. And so we want to do what we can to help put an end to racism, oppression, and violence. And so on this episode, and on the next episode, Skin and I are going to do something a little different. We're going to listen, not talk. Mav CEO sent Marshall, my boss, our boss, but more importantly, a leader of employees and in the community, was nice enough to welcome us into her home and have a conversation with Skin about what's happening in our country right now, what's been happening for centuries, and what we can all do to make things right. It's not an easy conversation, and it's not always comfortable, but I ask you to listen, especially my fellow white brothers and sisters. Listen to what Scent has to say. Open your mind, open your hearts, and let's come together so that we can all move forward. Thank you for listening to me, and now let's get to Scent and Skin. Well, first of all, I want to thank you for allowing us to come into your backyard. Oh, yes. You like it? I like it. And, you know, we're going to have a special visitor on this podcast. There will be some birds in the background. Oh, yes. It's nice, some birds. Yeah. And, but you will not have the dog, Louie, because he does not live here anymore. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah, that's good. And, and you know, we uh, if we were doing this under different times, we would I would walk in and we would have a huge hug. I know. Because I feel like every time I've seen you, there's been a hug because you're a hug person. Yes. And you give very good positive energy when people hug you. I've always received that. Thank you. Thank you. I am a hugger. I'm a hugger. And I just like to embrace people because I think it's important that you just spend time just embracing people. There's an appropriate way to do it. And just to give off that good energy and that love from the beginning. From the moment you see them, because then that shapes the conversation. It does. And I and that's why I regret that we're having to have this conversation under these other circumstances. But I feel like you're the perfect type of person that people need to hear from on this because of the way that you view people and work with people. Thank you. All different types of people. Thank you. And I feel like all different types of people are going to be receptive to what you have to say. Thank you. I um, appreciate that. I'm happy. I'm happy to engage in this dialogue and happy to just contribute just a little bit. One of the things that um, I know is difficult uh, for me is when I engage with my black friends, I don't know what to say right now because I feel like it's weird going, how are you doing? Like something that you would normally say to a person. So I would just like to know for starters, can you kind of take us through, I mean, we are one week removed from that Monday night where George Floyd was killed. And we're a week later, and we've seen a lot over the last week. So could you kind of take us from your perspective what you've been feeling from when this story first happened to where we are today? I have felt uh, so saddened by the whole thing. And I actually found out about it, just like with the Ahmaud Arbery situation, uh, from one of my sons. You know, I have two daughters and two sons. And so my sons, one will be 28 on Friday, coming up. And then one is 37. And so, unfortunately, they've been the ones keeping me kind of in tune to this. And, of course, because they're just fearful and scared about the whole thing. So, so as a mother, it's sad when I'm getting my news like this from my, my sons. Mm-hmm. Okay, And so that was sad because I have to find out what's going on. And I actually couldn't believe it. I, I, I actually still can't believe what happened that we watched 
someone get murdered with other people around saying stop with people with cameras on them and the four of them just let I mean they they just did it I can't I still can't believe it and the guy is saying and not the guy George Floyd Mm -hmm. and that's so important to me that we say his name George Floyd was murdered and people watched it we all saw it it was actually it was hard to watch I probably saw the video about five or six times before I finished it Mm -hmm. I couldn't finish it I was sobbing my heart was beating fast at first I just couldn't even believe what I was watching and what really jumped out at me and what really just made me weep all night I mean I didn't sleep but I'm sure I'm not the only one for a few days is that the officer had his hand in his pocket. Hmm. I mean, it makes me cry right now. Thinking that somebody's son, brother, uncle was murdered with somebody's hand in his pocket and people telling him to stop, he can't breathe. And he's saying, I can't breathe. And now he's dead. That just is it's unbelievable to me because we watched it. It's overwhelming. And it's uh, you mentioned the other officers. I can't get the other. I mean, we've now seen the video from different angles. Yes. But one of the things initially stayed with me so much and maybe I wanted to watch that more because the other image was so horrifying. But that other officer standing there so cavalierly just observing what's going on in the streets around him and not paying attention to he's witnessing his partner murder somebody, which is unbelievable. And so and obviously, you know, we weren't in their heads and so we don't know why they just stood there uh but you 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 gotta know as trained people they knew what was going on Mm -hmm. but we don't know and i guess we're gonna find out uh but the fact that the other three still aren't in jail is just very troubling which is underneath a lot of this unrest that is going on right now justice would say that all four of them would be in jail right now waiting to answer for what happened and that's not where we are right now. That's a sad commentary on America. Well, uh, then let's talk about where we are right now a week later, because the way that these things happen, then there is a protest for social injustice. And then the protests end up spinning in a lot of different directions for a lot of different reasons. And then you get a wave of people that appear on the surface to be more angered by the destruction of property over than witnessing a murder of an unarmed man. And we start dealing with all of those emotions and it fuels the anger more. And so what are some of your thoughts as you've gone through this last weekend of seeing not only here in Dallas, but in other cities, the protests that then become riots for one other reason or another? Well, you know what? And, and unfortunately we've seen it before. And I think that's what gets me with all of this is this is not our first time. Mm-hmm. Now, maybe we haven't seen anything that horrific where we just actually watched the life get uh, sucked out of somebody. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we've we've seen it before. Uh, we've been in these shoes before where there was an unarmed black man uh, who was killed and we, we've seen it. And. So we know it's going to be protests if they don't do the right thing. Mm -hmm. And it's not the first time that the right thing wasn't immediately done. Uh, At least we arrested. He was arrested. uh, The guy who actually committed the, you know, the actual act Mm -hmm. uh, because they all committed a crime in my mind. Uh, But at least he was that was dealt with the next day. But we've all seen that. So when justice is not fully served, 
we know what's going to happen. The protesters are going to come out, and every time this happens, at least my observation, uh, the protesters get uh, more and more diverse, and I'm actually going to talk about that because I think that is actually a beautiful thing that is going on, which is why I think this time is actually different uh, from some of the previous times. Uh, but you, we can predict it. So you know what's going to happen, and then you know uh, looting is going to start and all that. Now, what is actually different for me this time is I'm hearing about these provocateurs and these people who are showing up who really aren't protesters, but they're just you know, inciting uh, the riot and they're putting bricks and leaving things out there, giving people alcohol. And so I learned and actually learned a lot about that on Saturday because one of my uh, nephews, well, both of my nephews, so they're brothers, uh, they're very involved in these kinds of activities. They're community organizers, ministers, etc. And so I watched them on Facebook for about 35 minutes talking about these people who are showing up. So that's actually different that a lot of these groups are showing up now and making it much, much worse. So that's actually a different element. And so I stopped to think about that. And then I just really start to think about just the whole systemic nature of it. Because yes, we've had the act that was committed. We have the protests, but it seems like now there's more of an element of uh, the systemic racism and other people even trying to bring their races views and actions into the very protests mm -hmm. is, is just outrageous. And not to say there aren't people who aren't in these groups, you know, showing up to get the loot and all that stuff. But there's a diff different element here that I actually think is a racist element mm -hmm. that makes it worse. Uh, sort of uh, antagonizing and stoking the, f the flame, so to speak. Yes. Um, I'm, I'm just from a historical context. I thought about this this morning. I was like, you know, Scent was probably in her early teens when the Black Panther movement was happening in the Bay Area where you grew mm, up. My daddy used to say he was a Black Panther, so <laughs> I don't know. Maybe he was. <laughs> uh -huh. I don't know. Okay, but it, it, it even goes before that. Mm -hmm. And I think you know this, but I'm not sure. Okay, so the church that was bombed in Birmingham, Alabama in 1963 was the church that was one of my mother's churches she grew up in two churches i did not know this. okay and so uh so the 16th street baptist church you know I'm, i was born in birmingham alabama my okay. parents left when i was three months old they left because they did not want their kids growing up in the jim crow segregated south so mm -hmm. they left it in march of 1960 fast forward in 1963 this bombing occurs uh, that was one of my mother's churches. And I actually had the, the, the pleasure of going to Birmingham last August 21st. And I remember that day because it was actually, it's the anniversary of my daughter's death. And so we're there August 21st, and I got a chance to stand on the steps of the 16th Street Baptist Church with my mother and my uncle, my mother's brother, and one of her sisters, my aunt, telling me the story of what happened. Now, obviously, we weren't there. But, of course, that's where, you know, my mom grew up. And then she took us over to uh, Pastor Shuttleworth's church, where she gr also grew up. And uh, my aunt talked about, they showed us where my grandmother lived and where they lived. And my mom's best friend, Laverne, how she saw the KKK, saw the Klansmen plant the bomb oh. in the church. So, I mean, we spent two days getting this lesson about my roots. Wow. So my parents grew up in Birmingham, Alabama. So we grew up with the movement. We grew up a part of that, even though we were in the San Francisco Bay Area. 
that was home for them. So very much connected. Uh, my uncle, who uh, was giving us part of this tour, uh, spent uh, time in the Birmingham jail, the same jail that Dr. King wrote his famous letter from the Birmingham jail, mm -hmm. which is one of my favorite, favorite, favorite pieces. Okay. My uncle was a part of all of that. My grandmother told him, don't go. You can't go march. You're going to get hurt. You're black man. And he just sneaked out of the house and he went anyway and he ended up in jail. And so he's telling us that whole story. So, so, so there's a dark sordid history in this country about how we treat black people. And so my parents know that history. They live that history. They went to segregated schools. They drank out of, you know, black uh, fountains and all that. And so we know that. They taught that to us. And so then when things started happening with the Black Panther movement and all that, uh, we knew all about it and mm -hmm. we knew why uh, it existed. And of course, you know, my, my mom uh, talked about, you know, nonviolence and all that. I mean, we, we, we know the story of my dad and he was a violent mm -hmm. man. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, he was all with the Black Panthers. And so, and I was in California, of course, when we had Rodney King and that whole situation. So I have seen all of this. And so to think that my parents left Birmingham in March of 1960 because of how black people were treated, and now it is 60 years later. You know, I just had my big 60th mm -hmm. in, in December, and we are still talking about how black people are treated. I mean, what we witnessed in that video was a public lynching. Absolutely. That's outrageous to me. Yeah. Something has to change, and, and I think this time is different. And, and and we'll talk about that as well and maybe why this time is different. But, you know, and part of what we'll talk about is how people can communicate with one another and the way they should be communicating with one another. Yes. But I think as, as you were giving us background there, I couldn't help but think, you know, this is all happening in one lifetime. One lifetime. And I think the way a lot of people approach, you know, we call it systemic racism is, well, you know, slavery ended a long time ago and the civil rights, that was a long time ago. That's within one lifetime. One lifetime. And we're still dealing with these things. I was flipping through Twitter yesterday and it's the one year anniversary of Netflix releasing uh, When They See Us, the Ava DuVernay documentary, uh -huh. which is a really yes. tough watch, but it's extraordinary. Yes. That yes. happened when I was a senior in high school, and we're 30 years later, and nothing's really changed. Right. Oh, right. Well, let me ask you, do you think things have changed? Okay, y y things have changed, okay? I mean, things have changed. Uh, we've had, I mean, we've had our first black president. Right. Okay, so that's huge for two terms, eight years. Okay, so that has changed, and you can think of, and sometimes we laugh, laugh and say, even in my situation, sometimes you think first is your your first name, because when people introduce you, the first African-American female CEO of an MA team, the first African-American cheerleader at Cal, the first African-American senior class person. So it's the first, the first, the first, the first. Okay. All that is good. What's even better, though, is when you get the second, mm -hmm. when you get the third, mm -hmm. when you get the fourth, and when you get the fifth, and that's when we'll start to make more progress. What I, the, let me tell you why I think this time is different. Because we have, and when I say we, I'm talking about my generation, we have raised a group of children who have been exposed to different cultures. We've tried to raise them with everybody, okay? And I don't believe in this whole thing about you don't see color. You can't help but see color. You're right. a white man. I'm looking right at you, right. and I'm a black woman. You can see that, okay? But we have raised these kids around diversity and inclusion and the benefits of it. 
to where that's normal to them. And so when they see something like that, when white kids see something like that, the, the kids who grew up with my kids, the people that I hang out with, they're like, they're outraged by that. Because, I mean, that's one of my friends. What is going on here? And so then everybody comes together, and what you see out there protesting and who you see speaking against it are people who look like you. Mm -hmm. That's different. That is different. Because as a society, we have more people now saying we're not going to tolerate that because it was wrong. And so I think that has changed. More people recognize it's wrong, it's unacceptable, and we have to do something. I think people have seen the success of people who don't look like them and how they have brought the country along, how they've brought uh, sports along, how they've just moved the nation forward together mm -hmm. with others, with other white people, yellow people, red people, brown people. And so I think that is very different. It's not just black and white. We have all kinds of cultures. I was telling my team earlier that I remember with when my son was in high school, so I was in North Carolina at the time, and so he has a friend who actually ended up, somehow the parents ended up in Dallas too with us, and I made a comment about him being from the Middle East and all that, and my son stopped me. He goes, no, mom, stop. He's Pakistani, and then my daughter said something, and I said, okay, and I'm like, no, mom, it's important to get it right. Mm -hmm. I mean, you can't just like make up, it's important to get it right. These are the kids that are 28, 30 years old now saying, you got to get it right. Right. These are the friends. Yeah, these things happen uh, generally, generationally. They get gradually better. I love this generation. Uh, yeah, I, I'm with you. So one of the things I've been thinking a lot about, and I think one of the reasons we're doing this podcast, right. is how people from different backgrounds can figure out ways to talk to one another. Mm -hmm. And so I'm curious, in your, in your, from your perspective, have you been spending this last week talking about what's happened the same way when you're talking to your family or your black friends as you have when you're talking to white people about it? Or do you talk about it in two different ways? Uh, I pretty much talk about it the same way because mm -hmm. uh, I'm outraged by all of it. And it's interesting, like sometimes the responses I get, because some of my white friends, it's interesting too, and some, some, some of it goes by age group, uh, but some of my white friends have expressed more outraged than some of my black friends or family members because they've gotten numb right. and used to it. And so it's just, I mean, everybody's mad about it. Everybody wants to see change, but some people are cynical and it has crossed the color line. I've had a lot of my white friends uh, and my neighbors come and say, what do I need to do? I feel so bad. Mm -hmm. Help me here. Uh, and so the first reaction is, okay, I got to process this. Because I have a husband and two sons and two brothers who can't walk around freely. I mean, that's who I see mm -hmm. when I see George Floyd. Okay, so I just got to, like, process it all. So once I process it all, then I want to talk about it. And I believe in courageous conversations. I believe in just the informal kind of conversations and then formal courageous conversations where at the end of it, we are actually putting together community action plans. And so that's what I've actually been talking to some of my friends about. I said, okay, it's been a few days. We're, we're, we're numb. I mean, it's just, it hurts. It's raw. But now we got to get productive. And so we're having, the difference is my white friends 
want to understand what I'm feeling. I mean, the black people don't really ask me about what I'm feeling and how does this impact me and they just they wish they could understand because the black people do understand. Mm-hmm. Um, some of my black friends who don't have sons say, Sin, I wonder if it's the same. You know, I have daughters. It, you know, what are you feeling? I wonder if it's the same. And so we talk about that. But why my white friends want to get into my heart and my body and my mind and just help absorb, which I think is beautiful. They want to absorb some of this pain. And you just can't because you, you can't understand what it's like. Uh, to deal with this, is it, carry is, this burden. Is it in any way annoying to you? No. Okay. Uh, annoying that that you can't put your yourself in my shoes as a mother, as I, a black person. That's not annoying to me at all. Um, and I actually don't think it's my responsibility to kind of make sure you feel what I feel because mm-hmm. you won't. But I do think we have a responsibility to each other to talk about our experiences, our backgrounds, what we're feeling, why. I mean, I think you have, I mean, you have a responsibility to do exactly what you're doing, which is I'm so loving this, to just say, let me go and just figure out kind of what's going on there. How can I help? Is there something I should be asking? Is there an angle I should come at? I mean, and it's so raw, too. It's like you want to get it. You want to get it right. You want to get it right. But there is no right. There is no right. It's about the dialogue. It's about what we are doing right now. If you had walked in here and just said, sent, I don't even know what to say. Tell me what I ought to say. And I'll say what you just said. You're just honest. Because sometimes there are no words. I mean, that's what that's actually a good thing about this COVID stuff. You know, people are all covered up Mm -hmm. and, and, and sort of that's good because for a few days there were just no words. I couldn't even do a social media post. I mean, it took me like a whole day. I said, I don't even know what to say. This is so unbelievable. And then you just pause and you just start talking. So whatever comes out of your mouth is okay with me. I'm not annoyed that you don't have my experience. I'm actually not annoyed that I have my experience. It is what it is. Do do you as um as people are kind of sorting through all this, you'd mentioned you feel like there's uh, more receptiveness now than there's ever been. Mm-hmm. Can you put your finger on exactly why you think this is the moment where there there appears to be more receptiveness or more people reaching out or trying to understand this? Well, first of all, I think it was so egregious what we saw. Mhm. I don't ever think I've seen anything like that. I mean, I've never seen, I mean, I wasn't back in the day with the public lynchings, okay? But that's, in my mind, for me, that's about as close as I'm going to come to probably seeing that. And I think we're just appalled by what we saw. And things happen behind the scenes a lot, but the fact that we actually saw it. So one, that's different. And then to have so many people around trying to stop it, and it still happened, so then it's clear to all of us that wasn't an accident. Mm -hmm. Okay, so I think that's what's new. And then to have the other three cops standing there. So I think the whole scene, the way it played out, was just a big wake-up call to all of us, to people who don't really want to think that it really goes on, who all and you know there are some people who want to say oh well he was doing this or he was doing that because there were even some people who really jumped immediately to oh well he was doing some counterfeit who cares mm-hmm. what he was doing 
what we watched in that video, there's just no reason for that. And so I think that's what's different. It was just so egregious. And now we have so many people in this country right now. And so, you know, I'm an optimist. Yes. I think we have so many people in this country who are saying that was one of our brothers. I mean, we have white people, brown people, yellow people, red people saying that's one of my brothers. What's going on here? And more people who have black friends, black colleagues, black bosses. There are more people now who have black people in their world than ever before. And they love them. Mm-hmm. And so we're, we're, we're buddies. We're friends. We're, I mean, interracial marriages. I mean, we're married. I mean, you got white people married to black people and, you know, all different ethnicities and races. So we're more of a true family than ever before. And you just kill one of our family members, and we're not going to take it. That is what's different. What are the, um, along those lines, you know, I'm, I'm talking to a lot of people where they're saying, you know, what can I do? What can I do to help? So what is the expectation of your white neighbors or your white friends if, uh, you know, you're an African-American person? What do you expect from white people right now? I expect for white people to under, try to understand the plight of the black man to try to understand this whole phenomenon that black men have to deal with in this country where people are afraid of them and they don't even know them, where people will cross the street when they see two or three black boys walking up the street, where people just get scared uh, when you ring their doorbell and they want to grab the gun or call the police just because it's a black man. or some kid gets stopped and racially profiled because he's driving a Mercedes because he's a black guy, okay? And so I want my white friends to understand this is real, that we're not making this up. I had a great, uh, I had a great experience one, one day when I was at AT&T, and it was right after the Trayvon Martin situation. Mm-hmm. And one of my dear friends in the company, you know, we were officers together, came in my office, he goes, okay, sent. I'm closing the door. We've got to have a conversation. He said, I told my wife, you know, I'm hearing all this stuff about the talk. And he had seen something on the news the night before. Right. And he says, I got to be honest with you. I mean, I just want to have a conversation. He said, I told her there are two of my friends that I really, really, really trust. I mean, I'll believe just about whatever comes out of their mouth. I got to go and ask them tomorrow if this talk is real. So that's what he came to ask me about. And I just started laughing. He said, I knew it. It's not real, huh? I said, sit down. I said, let me give it to you. I said, you got about five minutes? Hmm. I said, I've given it so many times. I could give it to you in five minutes. And you could see the tears well up in his eye. He said, that's real? I said, it's real. I said, so let me give it to you. And I, and I gave him one of my son's names. And I said, let's just pretend like you're him. And you just started driving. You just started high school. And so let me tell you what we tell him. And I went through the talk in about five minutes. He was sobbing when he left my office because it was a revelation that it's real. And so sometimes things get overblown, uh, you know, when they're on TV or whatever. But it doesn't mean that it's not real. And he left there and he said, okay, we're going we're to make some changes. We've got to start something different. He goes, my whole mindset is different. I got to see this different. And we actually ended up doing some great stuff uh, together. But it was because he walked into my office and had the desire to know more. 
He was bold enough. And I don't even think it's boldness. He knew me. So he was my friend. And he just came and asked the question and was very emotional with the response. It got to him because it was a revelation that this is real. And I think that's all. That's the starting point. Find out what's real. Mm -hmm. Find out the facts. Find out what is really the African-American experience in this country. If you're running around with me and you, I mean, in, in the life that I live now, you're not going to be in touch with some aspects of the true African-American experience if you're just on the surface. Right. But if I tell you that when I go into my grocery store less than a mile from here and all but one time I've been in there, someone tried to get me to get something off the shelf because they thought I was the checker. You probably wouldn't believe it. And that's my story. Or if I tell you the few times that I was headed to my seat and one of the season ticket members stopped me and they just wanted to talk and good stuff and talk about the Mavs and and then another person would walk up and just say, do you know where the seat is? Get me to my seat. <laughs> wow. That's happened to me a couple times. Wow. And I just look and you know what I do? I go and help them to the seat because my job is to take care of 19,200 people in that arena. <laughs> and that's what I do. So the, the ones I'm talking to, they're appalled. But I go and take care of these people. And then as I'm leaving, the other usher comes up and say, are you okay? And then the one guy says, and then I'm like, tell me what you need. And, and so we go through this whole thing. And then later through a series of circumstances, he realizes I'm not the usher and who I am. And then he told me, he says, I'm mortified. I said, why are you mortified? He said, I thought you were the usher. I said, first of all, it's okay to be an usher. That's admirable. That's a fine profession. That means you have to be nasty to the usher, so it doesn't matter. And then why did you think I was the usher? He said, well, you were standing right there. I said, they were standing there too. But the black woman was standing there. That's ridiculous. That's my world. Now, I could just do what I did and take care of him and ask him if he wants something to drink because that is my job too. Mm -hmm. Or I could get all upset and say, wait a minute, why, do you, why are you giving that ticket to me and ordering me to take you to your seat? But, of course, I smile and I take him to my seat, but I don't let it rest until he finally has the revelation. And then we use it as a teaching moment. All right. I, uh, I have a lot of thoughts about what you're just talking about. <laughs> okay, because... I'm sorry. No, 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 no. I... <laughs> It, it It's what I've been thinking about a lot. Okay. My situation, I think, is different than most white people because I've spent all my life in basketball right. and then in rap music as well. Right. So if you're a white guy and you're going to go into that world, you're going... Your world is black. Right. Your and world so, is black. And so you don't go in there and make demands about how it's going to be. Right. You go and you accept... The right. way things are, and you adapt and you learn. Right, you're in the mix. So you're I've part been, of it. I've I've been very blessed in that regard. Right. So, but I know a lot of white people. Sent. Mm -hmm. I'm a white guy. Yes. And one of the things that I have observed when I try to convey a message, and a lot of times I'm pro maybe too strident in my tone, or you, maybe, oh, well, you know, you you get you get dug in and <laughs> and, and you 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 start assuming these things, and you're going, well, why don't you see it this way? And it's because of that, you talked about the, the revelation moment, right. it's that lack of experience. Mm -hmm. But what I've been thinking about a lot, mm -hmm. and probably social media got me thinking this way, right. is how can we speak to, and I don't think what people deserve this, but it's where we are. Mm -hmm. How do we convey messages to people that are defensive? Because what is happening is, is I do believe this, 
I think that that situation that you described was someone who was probably being naively racist as opposed to overtly racist. Right. Right. So there's a lot of people that I don't use the N word and I don't have hateful thoughts, but we've all been trained by our entities and our right. structures to think the same way. Right. And so we're trained to think this way. Right. And most people do not want to be pointed out when they are engaging in negative behavior, right. especially if they feel like they haven't. Right. So how do we get to a place where we can get people to listen what is the language? What is the form of communication to get people to accept that they're approaching this wrong and they're not being persecuted? Right. They're not being accused. They're being asked to listen and to understand. How do we get to that commonality? Well, well some of it is, um, and you said it, is to help people truly listen and not just hear you. And in order to do that, and this whether you're black, white, doesn't matter, there's a way to do it. And so a lot of it is it's one-on-one. -on -one. Sometimes it's just human nature. People don't receive things uh, when they're in front of people or if they feel challenged. But if there's an opportunity to really get somebody to try to understand something to, to be so they can be different, so the behavior can be different. Some people don't want to change their behavior. Right. Uh, but we have to assume innocence. And I like to practice that whole philosophy of assuming innocence. It's like you just assume somebody's coming from a good place and they want to do better. I'm like that. I want people to tell me, Sit, don't do that. I want my son to say, hold on, wait a minute. Be respectful of the culture of my Pakistani friend. I mean, I want that. I mean, that stuck with me. That stuck with me, you know, for 10 years now. Mm -hmm. And so I think you have to come at people sometimes one-on-one. -on -one. You have to create environments where it's okay for people to make mistakes and, 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 and for me not to be defensive and say, okay, this, this is going to be a teaching moment and I got to do this the right way. I can't just stop and jam him up in front of these people even when the usher came, I can't, and he said, are you okay, what's going on in here? I can't, like, really tell him what's going on because then it's in front of the usher. The guy has his friend there. But I'm not going to let this guy leave right. without this teaching moment. And I waited until I could talk to him, just us, until I could whisper in his ear and we could have a little conversation about it. And his response was beautiful. Now, hopefully, he's making some changes. But I think it's to get people in a space where they can really, really listen to you and not just hear the noise and the rhetoric and to put yourself out there, to be patient, me as a black person, to say, I got to try to get him to understand this the right way and not have him be defensive because that's just a, a human response mm -hmm. to it. Mm -hmm. uh, and then to have that dialogue to have the conversations to create things and you know you'll hear them call courageous conversations it's all dialogue it's all dialogue and then responding and active listening I put that you know I gave my team you know I did my letter today to my team and I'm sure we'll talk about this and I gave all of our employees a call to action and I said here are the five things that I want you to do and one of them was around opening up opening up their circle of friends letting somebody else in who does not look like you, truly into your circle of friends. And I didn't say circle of trust because mm -hmm. you don't know them yet. Right. But circle of friends and have conversations about backgrounds, about cultures, about what do they think about this, about, you know what, is it, what, what is it about this you don't like? 
I mean, somebody can ask me, Sam, why does it always have to result into looting? I mean, why do you have people bringing TVs and bicycles out of people's businesses? Why are people uh, tearing down the very communities that we've been working for years to? But you can ask me those kind of questions. Maybe I have the answers or maybe I don't have the answers. But it's about having those conversations and leaving there just a little more wiser. I, I have a million things to ask you based on that. And I, I maybe I want to get in. <laughs> Into the letter, too. But I, I think it would be very beneficial for people to hear, all different types of people to hear, what are your emotions when you do see looting? How, what do you, how does it personally make you feel? What, what is that? Because you know what led to it, so how do you feel about it? It makes me mad. And what I don't try to do is figure out who is it. You know, is this somebody in the community? Is this some crazy out there that, you know, snuck out of the house and the mama, don't, she doesn't even know where they are? I mean... I don't even think like that. And I don't think, is this a provocateur or somebody trying to make the black people look bad? I never think about that. I just think this is outrageous, what is going on here, because here's a moment where we can have a peaceful protest where the police have come out to say, have the dialogue. We're with you. Let's do this. And then the bad stuff starts. It makes me mad. And it makes me want to just take these people and say, do you understand what you're doing to this moment? You are causing people not to really understand what's going on here. So instead of us talking about the root cause of this, instead of us talking about we demand justice, we demand a place where our sons aren't killed on the street like that. We deserve a place where they can walk through Central Park and bird watch without some woman calling the cops. I mean, I could go on and on. We deserve to go jogging. We deserve to go walk down the street with Skittles. We deserve to sit in our apartments and watch football without somebody breaking in to kill us. I could go on and on. That's what's at the root cause of this. We need some changes. But instead, you have fixed it. So now the talk is about you breaking into that shop and coming out with the TV. And now that's what's on the news, and that's what people who don't want to really deal with the fundamental issues, that's what they're talking about because it's easier to talk about that, and it's a nice distraction. And I can't get mad at the people who are talking about that when somebody created that visual. But then what I can do is get mad about it and then get back to the real conversation. And so, you know, they say the main thing is that the main thing always remain the main thing. <laughs> and so you get people who will take you off the main thing, but you got to get back to it.